But as uh, Melinda's already said, we've been in a series called Restoring the Darkness, looking at the book of Jeremiah. And if you've been following along with us, hopefully by now you have a sense that things were really hard for the people of Jeremiah's day, for the people of God, because they were in exile. They had been forcibly taken out of their homeland to a foreign land called Babylon. Um, They possibly and probably lost friends and family along the way. And they'd certainly lost their autonomy, their ability to you know, self-govern, uh, and they'd lost their identity markers as a community. They were no longer gathering in the temple because the temple had been destroyed and they were no longer in their land. And so this would have felt like the end of life as they knew it. And so the people certainly had cause to lament, to wonder where God was, to wonder who God was and why he wasn't stepping in. And so over the last three weeks, we've been invited to sit in some of those spaces and to see where Jeremiah's words can speak to us today. So we've spent time lamenting the grief that this season has caused us. Uh, We've confessed our own wrongdoing and also confessed who God is. And we've asked some hard questions about where God is and who God is in the midst of it all. And so we've got to reflect on and share in some of the wrestle that the people of God in Jeremiah's day faced. And we've heard from some of you, we've gotten some great feedback that this has been resonating with where you are at and the season that we're all in, which is so cool. And hopefully it will continue to speak into our context. The series will continue to do that. But things take a surprising turn in the passage that we're looking at today. Now, I don't think we can overstate how devastating the exile was for the people of Israel. It caused their poets to write things like, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat And we wept when we remembered Zion or when we remembered Jerusalem. And then they'd go on, how can we sing the songs of God while we're in a foreign land? Um, And we probably feel a little bit like that at the moment. Like, how can we sing worship songs when we're not all gathered together? How can we sing the songs of God in a foreign land? And it's into that difficult and dark time and place that God speaks some potentially confusing, challenging and unexpected words through the prophet Jeremiah. Because the hope of the people of God in Jeremiah's day would have been to return to the land, to return to Israel, to rebuild the temple, to rebuild their lives, and to get back to the things the way they were before. And yet God speaks to the exiles through a letter from Jeremiah and says this. He says, build houses and settle down in Babylon, plant vineyards and have kids have lots of kids. And then when your kids grow up, have them have lots of kids. God says, this isn't forever, but you are going to be here for a while. So seek the peace and prosperity, seek the welfare of the city, because in its peace is your peace. And pray for Babylon, pray for your captors and pray for their peace. Don't pray for their destruction. That's a pretty strange thing for God to say. I don't know about you, but if I was to put myself in the shoes of the exiles, I think I would be thinking, God, where is your escape plan to get us out of here? We know you can, so why won't you rescue us now? And there certainly is a place for those kinds of questions. But it seems like God is saying, you're going to be here for a while, so let's talk about what that's going to look like. And he says, plan for long-term involvement and invest in the community. Have a presence in the city, settle down and have families, use your gifts and resources in a way that helps the whole city and pray for the city, 
Pray for the welfare of the people who took you captive into exile. And I just wonder like, how those words would have been received by the people of God. Perhaps they were a little jarring, unexpected, maybe not what the people wanted to hear. But there doesn't seem to be any wiggle room for the people to ignore God's words. He says, build, settle, plant, marry, seek, pray. They are all imperatives or commands. So not just a nice added extra if people feel like it. God's command in exile is that the people would settle down in Babylon and seek its peace. And this passage, particularly verse 7, so if you've got it open in front of you, have a look. It centers around a key repeated word. Um, I'm not sure if you noticed it. It probably depends on the translation that you're looking at. But the word is peace or sometimes uh, translated peace and prosperity. Um, And some other translations may be welfare in English. But it's just the one Hebrew word there, and that is the word shalom. So peace and prosperity or welfare is an attempt in English to convey this idea of shalom. Uh, We've talked about this word before, but it's probably worth coming back to uh, because the word peace and the word prosperity uh, in English maybe isn't the most helpful translation for us. Peace is what we would call a full word. Uh, It has specific meaning in English. We might think of the word peace as the absence of conflict or inner tranquility, uh, some kind of state of being that we feel within ourselves. But the Hebrew idea of shalom carries with it a greater depth of meaning than the English word peace. Shalom encompasses well-being, contentment, wholeness, completeness, flourishing, health, prosperity, safety, rest, order, harmony, justice. And in the case of this verse, Shalom is the sense that all is right with the city and the people who live in it. So seeking shalom is seeking the restoration and the reconciliation of the four broken relationships that we sometimes talk about. Uh, Melinda mentioned them last week. We talked about them in our uh, series earlier this year, the four relationships that are broken in Genesis 3. Uh, And that is firstly the relationship between people and God. And so shalom in that relationship is the sense that people come into right relationship with God. Shalom is that people are in right relationship with God. There's also the breakdown of relationship between people and other people. And then shalom in that relationship, shalom in people to people relationships is when we are reconciled with one another and that we live in a way that brings justice to one another. When we speak up for and empower people who don't have a voice And where people bring beauty and joy into the world in a way that brings hope to others. There's also the broken relationship of people within themselves. And we experience this when we experience guilt and shame. Uh, And shalom in that relationship is when we find healing and wholeness within ourselves. And then there's a broken relationship between people and creation. And shalom is when people step into their role as caretakers of creation and creation is healthier and flourishes because of it. And this is what the people in exile were called to do, to seek the shalom, the well-being, the flourishing of the city and the people that lived in it. And in this passage, there's this really interesting clause. So if you have a look at Jeremiah 29, 7, there's this clause where God says, for in its shalom is your shalom. In the shalom of the city, you'll find your shalom. Now, I've always struggled with that phrase, for in its shalom, in its peace is your peace. 
Because I think it would be really easy for us to read that as if my motivation for seeking shalom is because I'm going to get something in return. Like I'll only seek someone else's good if there's something in it for me. And I don't think that's what's going on here. And yet, there is a sense in which the well-being and flourishing of Babylon is linked and really connected to the well-being and flourishing of the people of Israel in Babylon. They're intrinsically linked. And it kind of makes sense, right? Like, if we're to invest in enriching our community, the community in which we live, we also get enriched because we're a part of the community. We don't do it purely for our own benefit, but our peace is tied to the peace of our place. Our well-being and our flourishing are tied to the well-being and flourishing of our community and our neighborhood. When it flourishes, we flourish. And I imagine that for the exiles, this was not what they were expecting to hear. But God was giving his people a new lens with which to view the exile. God reframed the exile. He restoried it for his purposes. And that purpose was missional. The exiles were called to live life towards others for the good of others. And this is nothing new. The people of God, right back from the opening chapters of the Bible, have been called to be outward looking, to be others focused, to be a light to the nations around them. But their temptation was always to become insular, to become self-focused and to protect their own people. And I imagine that this temptation was only intensified in exile. They were out of their land. They didn't have their identity markers. And so the temptation would have been, let's protect our own. Let's protect our identity. But God says, even in exile, this calling to be a light or a blessing to the nations doesn't change. And what's crazy is that as the people of God are exiled, as they're sent out of or taken out of their land, they are spread and scattered and they bless the nation in a way that would not have happened if they remained in Israel. The people of God scattered among the nations becomes the surprising way that God makes his people a blessing to the nations around them. The exile forces the people of God to rethink their calling in a new way. And we, got, we don't get a detailed description of what that was like. I wish we did. Uh, but knowing the people of Israel, they probably didn't get it right all the time because that's their pattern. They uh, don't always get things right. But you have to wonder what it would have been like in Babylon if the people of God managed to live this calling out, if they managed to bring shalom in Babylon. Imagine how the people of Babylon would have been introduced to the one true living God through the people of Israel seeking shalom in the city, something that never would have happened if the exile didn't take place. I think it's worth considering. Now, we aren't in exile in the same way that Israel was. They lived at a time where they were waiting for the Messiah to come and put things right. We live in a time after the Messiah, Jesus, has come. And the coming of Jesus changed everything. Jesus was the start of all things being put right. The inauguration of the kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was the inauguration of Shalom coming on earth. And yet, in some ways, it still is like we're in exile. In the New Testament, Peter talks about us being foreigners and exiles in this world. And Paul talks about our citizenship being in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven rather than the kingdom of this world. 
So while we want to be careful about not just applying Jeremiah's words to our situation, because our situations are different, I think it's still worth asking the question, what is the invitation from Jeremiah? Are we called to seek the shalom of the place in which we live and to pray for it? And I think the answer is yes. Seeking shalom is a kingdom thing too. In many ways, shalom captures the idea of the kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. That when the kingdom comes, there'll be wholeness and completeness, justice, flourishing, well-being and rest. All the same things that Jesus demonstrated and taught are a part of the kingdom. And later in the New Testament, the church is called to be peacemakers, to be people who work for reconciliation, to be people who bring shalom. So the times may have changed. We're not in exile in Babylon, but the calling to bring shalom remains the same. And just like the exiles of Jeremiah's day, we are scattered at the moment. Um, And I think there's an invitation for us in that. So we can't gather centrally on a Sunday morning like we would love to, um, and it kind of sucks. But what opportunities are there for us that we might not have had or might not have thought of because, you know, we never anticipated being scattered like this? How can we think creatively about our neighborhood and bless our neighborhood because we are the church scattered at this time? The spreading or the scattering of the church means that we can be a light to the people around us in ways we may have never even considered when we were gathering together. And so I'm left with some questions to continue pondering. Um, I'd like you to join me in thinking about these things over the coming weeks. And the first is this, what does it look like to pause and to ask God what he's up to before we quickly rush off to the next thing and the next season? I would hate for us to waste the opportunity that coronavirus has offered, not to get fit or to learn a new language, but just simply to pause and ask God what he's doing at this time. God, what are you up to in our neighborhood? What are you up to in our community? The second question that I've been pondering is this, how is our shalom, how is our peace tied to the shalom of the place we live? How is our flourishing, our well-being tied to the place, the shalom and the flourishing of the place that we live. The third question I've been asking is, what is God's invitation to us in this season where we are scattered to be a light and a blessing to those around us and to bring shalom to our place? Where is God inviting us in this season while we're scattered to bring flourishing and wholeness and wellness to our neighborhood and our community? Which kind of leads to the fourth question I've been thinking about, which is how can we be practically involved in bringing shalom to our city and our neighborhood? It's dangerous for this to stay in kind of the thinking space where we never actually get to what does this practically look like for us to seek the well-being and the flourishing of our neighborhood. Seeking the peace of the city or seeking the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven means being good neighbors. It means uh, picking up rubbish, means planting a tree, feeding the poor, volunteering at a local school, maybe painting a mural, empowering the voiceless, greeting people on the street. It means driving safely, uh, embracing all people regardless of differences and pointing to the hope that we have in Jesus. 
So I want to make it clear, this is not us denying the circumstances. We're not denying what's going on in the world around us at the moment. Um, I don't think it stopped being hard for the people of God in exile after he gave them this word of, you know, bring peace. It didn't stop being difficult. But I think it's recognizing that wherever we find ourselves, God's invitation, God's call to participate in what he's doing doesn't change. And that is the call to participate in the renewal of all things, of bringing shalom in our world. And this might mean we have to start thinking creatively. N.T. Wright, or Tom Wright, who you should know by now is one of my favorite scholars or thinkers, he captures it beautifully when he says this. I'm really sorry if I've shared this quote before. It's my favorite. You'll probably hear it again. He says this, The church, because it is the family that believes in hope for the new creations, the church is the family that believes in the hope for new creation, and because of that, it should stand out in every town and village as the place where new creativity bursts forth for the whole community pointing to hope, which like beauty always comes as a surprise. I love that the church should stand out in every town and village as the place where new creativity bursts forth for the whole community. This is the idea of shalom, of creatively working to show the whole community the hope of new creation, to be the signposts of the kingdom breaking in. And this can look like so many things been mentioned a few times recently uh, but right around the time the kind of self-isolation started our household uh, took to the street with chalk we spent a few evenings brightening up our footpath and it was partly our way of processing what was happening partly our wanting to kind of get out of the house even though we were being told to stay in it but mostly we wanted our neighbors to know that they weren't alone um, and writing it in big colorful letters on the footpath seemed to be the best way to do that um, what I wasn't anticipating was the response, the response that we got to the simple act of writing, you are not alone on the footpath. Um, our neighbours came out to chat, um, and particularly one of our neighbours across the road, we ended up probably having a 45 minute conversation and getting to hear about his life and how he was um, struggling with the fact that he was planning on opening a business before the whole COVID thing started. And we talked about what it would look like for us to support his business once it did um, get started, if he was able to. And we just had this amazing opportunity to connect with someone who we really hadn't before. Uh, people who were going to work at the Arnott's factory, which is across the road from our house, would stop and ask what we were doing and we got a chance to share with them. People on their evening walks would stop um, and say hi and let us pat their dogs. And if that's not bringing shalom um, on earth, I don't know what is. Thank you for letting us pat your dogs, neighbours. Uh, people were putting notes in our letterboxes and they were sending us messages. And from inside the house, we would regularly hear people stopping on the footpath to take photos um, and commenting on how nice it was and that it made them smile. I really didn't anticipate that some chalk and an encouraging message might be the catalyst for connection and for joy on our street. It really was a tiny glimpse of Shalom in our neighborhood. Which has got me thinking, if something so simple and so spur of the moment could have such a significant impact in our street, Imagine if we collectively put our heads together around creative ideas. Imagine the impact that we could have in the neighborhood. And so we want to give some serious thought to this. How can we generously seek the shalom, the flourishing, the well-being of our city, of our neighborhood? Even now, in the midst of uncertainty and particularly because we are scattered. Uh, and this could look like a lot of different things. 
Uh, but Melinda, Elliot and I have been thinking about what this could look like. We've been asking this question, what are the opportunities for generosity that bring people and our neighborhood to life? What are the opportunities for generosity that bring people and our neighborhood to life, that bring shalom in our neighborhood and to the people who live near us? Um, and we've come up with some really broad umbrella categories that to seek shalom um, and restoration of the four relationships that I mentioned before. And so we've come up with these big categories around mental health, around relationships and connection, uh, around justice and beauty and creative, creation care. Um, and I've added spirituality for the sake of um, this morning. And so mental health is speaking to the broken relationship within ourselves. Uh, what would it look like for us to offer our community a chance to uh, be whole and flourishing and to help people um, unpack their mental health and how they're going? What would it look like for us to uh, be connecting with people in our neighborhoods, to be working on the person-to-person -person relationships? And on the person-to-person -person relationships, in terms of justice, what would it look like for us to be speaking up for people who don't have a voice at the moment or who can't have access to the same resources that we do? In terms of beauty, what would it look like for us to uh, paint murals and to do art projects and to do things that bring joy in the neighborhood? Um, and in terms of creation care, what would it look like for us to um, invest in a green space in our community, to maybe plant a community garden? Uh, we have all these ideas of different things that we could be doing um, under these big kind of categories. But what we want to do and what we want your help to do is to come up with what those things could be. Um, we're going to launch something next Sunday uh, around this, around a generosity project for our neighborhood. Uh, but we want us collectively to come up with the different things that we could be doing around mental health, uh, around relationships and connection, around justice, beauty and creation care. Uh, and for this morning, I've added spirituality um, because I think that this passage uh, from Jeremiah 29, 7 encourages us to pray for our neighborhood, to pray for our city. And so what would it look like for us to pray for our neighborhood, to do prayer walks um, and to point people to the hope that we have in Jesus? And so that's what we're going to spend a little bit of time doing this morning. I'm going to share my screen with you and we're going to use Mentimeter again. Uh, you've done fantastic the last couple of times we've used it. So grab a device if you've got one. Uh, and what we're going to do is answer this question. How can we practically seek the shalom of the neighborhood? Um, and in brackets, I've put our kind of big categories around mental health, around relationships, justice, beauty, creation, care, and spirituality.